Thank you, Michelle. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good? Good to see you. We're in uh, the book of Psalms in the Bible, chapter 6, if you would turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one there out of the pew rack in front of you. I'd love to have you follow along. Uh, we are cruising through some of the Psalms this summer, and we're going to end on Labor Day, uh, Labor Day weekend on, on September, I think it's 2nd. I mentioned that earlier. That's a single service Sunday with a celebration, potluck, barbecue afterwards here at the church. You know, we've tried to do it two years in a row out at uh, Shastis Park, and the smoke has prevented us from doing that, and it looks like it's probably going to be the same thing this year. So we're just going to keep it here local and keep it at the church on campus, okay? Well, today as we look at Psalm 6, um, one of the things that uh, we're talking about is confessing sin today. And, and I know it's like, well, that's, that's kind of harsh, Brandon. Right away you just tell me I'm a sinner and I need to confess. Well, that's what the Bible says. And, and the Psalms are, are delightful and wonderful, but it's also a, a way that we can observe someone else's life and their story and, and how, how they interacted with God and how God interacted with them. So I, I, my prayer is as we go to the Psalms today, as we go to the Psalm of David in, uh, in chapter 6, that we would, we would find um, application for our own lives. And, and what we're talking about, there's, there is the Lord's discipline and rebuke, and, and then that we would confess our sin to Him and, and find peace and hope and comfort uh, back in His arms. But that also parallels with, with trials, not just, not just that we sin and we hold on to sin and we carry the weight of our sin on our shoulders and we, we want to try to hide that from God and keep that from God and like still live here and still say, I believe, and, and there's some kind of tension. Because that, that's really what we're talking about as well. But there's also those things that come up, those trials and those, uh, those tribulations, right? Those, those things that are, that are horrible happening to us, even right now as we talk about uh, the losses in Reading, right? And the, and the, and the displacement in Reading and, and those from Hornbrook earlier and, and years ago. And even tragedies in our own community that are happening even now, right? Things are, things are happening, not always related to your own personal sin, and they affect your life. Amen? So there are things, there are sin. Are, are tragedies and trials that will come because of your own sin in your life. I mean, you, you kind of bring it on yourself, right? We bring it on ourselves. We do something wrong. We, we fall into sin or temptation, and we have to suffer the consequences of those things, correct? Uh, but there are times where, where we have done nothing wrong, but because sin entered the world and death entered the world at the fall of mankind, this world has a cancer that affects all of us and tragedy that affects all of us and trials that affect all of us. So in those trials, we can see uh, and, and be sensitive to the Lord's discipline in our lives, that we would be teachable and that we would grow, and that we would mature into the image of the Son. And, and understand, discipline is not just, you know, we hear discipline, right? It's, it seems like discipline is always, you've been bad, right? Some of your stories back in the day, your parents say, well, you, go, you go get a belt, right? And that's like, I heard your stories before, right? But you've been bad, now there's a punishment, now there's a consequence, and that's discipline. But discipline is also you and I becoming disciplined, Right? It's discipleship, that's where the, the word comes from, that we would discipline ourselves, that we would learn and be corrected and we would grow, and as, as we go through things, we would grow through things as well, and that God helps us do that. And think about being a parent, how you are with children, right? There are times you discipline them, and they're like, because they've been bad, they've disobeyed you, and there are times you, you teach them and help guide them and discipline them because they're going through something in life, right? And that's the majority of it. And both of those are discipline, and both of those give us uh, opportunities to grow. Today, we see David coming before God needing discipline, needing correction, needing to be rebuked. Right? But some of the same feelings that are here uh, are present also when we go through trials. Right? I want us to understand that as well. So we're going to look at the, the passage in Psalm 6. 
uh, and we're going to pray first, and then we'll get to work in Psalm 6. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we can come here and worship you for all that you have done for us through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, that he alone is the name above every name, that there's only one name, and it's Jesus that gives life and hope and victory and joy. God, change us now. Open our hearts and minds to be receptive to your word. God, as we speak about the subject of confessing sin, it, it should ring true for every one of us, and it may hit home for some of us right now that we may be in, a, in the middle of a, a part of life where we have some sin to confess in order to restore our relationship with you. God, I pray for us to have peace today, peace that comes from our, our good and gracious Heavenly Father and confidence that comes from him also, knowing that he would have the ultimate victory in our lives. We trust you, Lord. We ask that you would convict and guide and direct and change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in Psalm chapter 6. We're going to read the whole psalm together, and then we'll break it down, okay? Beginning in verse 1. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaking. My whole being is shaking with terror. And you, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, rescue me. Save me because of your faithful love. For there is no remembrance of you in death. Uh, who can thank you in Sheol? I am weary from my groaning. With my tears I dampen my bed and drench my couch every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all evildoers. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea for help. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror. They will turn back and suddenly be disgraced. All right, well, let's break this down as, as it talks about confession. And, and really, David is, is struggling with something at the beginning, right? He, you see him shaken to his core at this. And he, he's got to come before the Lord with something. He's been dealing with something ongoing in his life, which is odd because we see the, the, the differences in, in the Psalms before this. It seems like he's got it together. He's got his enemies around him, but he knows he's confident in the Lord. The Lord is his provider. It's his salvation. He'll look to his holy mountain. You see these resounding themes of trust and confidence out of David in these previous psalms. Now, some would say that these psalms aren't actually written in this order. Who knows what order they were written in? Maybe this, maybe this psalm today was written more uh, along the lines of Psalm 51, where he repented of sin with Bathsheba, and he knew that there was deep sin burdening him, and he needed to come clean with God and and how often maybe he wept. Maybe you put those two together and read that and see the depth of sin and repentance and confession, right? But what we see here today is a weeping and a, and a struggling internal turmoil. And he goes before God and pleads with God. And then we see God, it says God accepted his prayer. He answered his prayer. So somewhere in there, it's implied that he had confessed, God had heard, and God had, had restored him back to a relationship with him. So he comes, he comes today in this song, we see him in deep trouble, deep anguish. Deep pain, deep grief, not only for the enemies that may be around him, but the enemy that is within him. The wickedness that he has done himself. And he needs to come before the Lord and confess and let the Lord restore and deal with him. So we're talking about confessing sin today. Number one is this, that when we confess sin, we need to know it starts with a, with a heart of humility. In order to confess sin, it has to start with a heart of humility. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 3 again. It says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, for my bones are shaking. My whole being is shaken with terror. And you, Lord, 
How long? You see, there was something going on deep inside his heart, right? A turmoil going on deep inside his heart that he needed to resolve. And, and when he goes before God, what's, what's really awesome about this, he goes humbly with a heart towards God. And when he says, God, I want you to have my heart. I want you to take care of my heart. And, and he knows in pride if he came before God, if he knows if he didn't come before God in confession, he knows exactly what he would deserve. And it's said there right there in verse 1 and 2. Or verse 1, it says, Lord, don't rebuke me in your what? Anger. It says, don't discipline me in your wrath. See, David knows that he, a sinner, and any sinner, unconfessed sin, deserves wrath and anger, the anger of God. See, God is angry at sin. God doesn't like it when we sin. And there is wrath for that. But praise be to God, he made a way to pour his wrath out on the cross on Jesus Christ. Amen? That he poured his wrath and his anger on Jesus so you and I could receive what verse 2 says. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, for my bones are shaking. See, graciousness and a healing comes from the Lord's rebuke and discipline. And, and notice in verse 1, he doesn't say, Lord, don't rebuke me. He doesn't say, Lord, don't discipline me. He, he realizes he's going to be rebuked. He realizes he's going to be disciplined. But he says, Lord, don't do it in anger. Don't do it in wrath. I want it to be done in graciousness, and my, my whole body needs your healing and help. I am weak. I'm just drooping. I'm nothing anymore. You see, when we come to God with pride, saying, look what I've accomplished, God, you, you've got to accept me, we get his wrath. Because what we're saying is, God, I can measure up to you, and none of us can measure up to him. But when we, when we come to God with a heart of humility, weeping, drooping, this, this, this weakness is like, I'm just drooping. When we come to him with, with a heart of humility, he can hear that and he gives us his grace and starts to heal that heart. That's what God wants to do. And that's, that's what happens. See, we, we tend to think, oh, I can't confess. I can't go to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I've done something wrong because then I'm going to look bad. Then I'm going to be on the bottom of the list for the Lord. No, the Lord wants to be like a father that wraps you in his arms and loves you and forgives you. But you've got to come to him with a repentant, humble heart and confess and say, God, you're God, I'm not. I need your forgiveness. I need your healing. I need your grace. Thank you for putting your anger and wrath on Jesus for me. Save me. Jeremiah echoes this in Jeremiah 10, 24. He says, discipline me, Lord, but with justice, not in your anger, or you will reduce me to nothing. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you're just about ready to be reduced to nothing? In Christ, we're, we're lifted up. God pulls us out of that mire and that pit. But if you want to stay in the mire and the pit, if you want to stay there with unconfessed sin, if you want to stay there with a proud heart, trying to earn your own way, it will be more than justice. Justice will be carried out on you or anyone with unconfessed sin, and we will be reduced to nothing. But in Christ, we can be made whole again. It's the difference between saying, Going to the Lord and saying, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please correct me. Versus standing before God saying, fine, judge me. Whoa. That's, don't go there, right? You don't want to go there. Because he will. But he will also forgive when you go, Lord, humbly I come before you, repenting of my sin, turning to you, and I'm sorry for it. Please correct me, please forgive me. He's like, oh, son, oh, daughter, I forgive you. I forgive you. Let me, let me be tender with your heart. Let me give you peace in your heart. 
So he's not showing off his cry of pride. He's showing off his humility, saying, I'm, I'm humble in heart. I'm, I need you. I need you more than ever. Charles Spurgeon quotes, quotes this. He says, soul trouble is the very soul of trouble. It matters not that the bones shake if the soul be firm. Right? We, there's some pretty shaking things out there, and we can, we can acknowledge that, right? But if our soul is firm, it really doesn't matter because God's got our soul. But when the soul itself is also shaken, this is agony indeed. You see, it's, it's about the whole person being shaken. And, and listen, if you are living and, and, and walking with unresolved, unrepentant, unconfessed sin in your life, you understand the burden that that is on your shoulders, the weight that you're carrying around day in and day out. You're trying to, to, to look the right part. You're trying to be the right part, but it's not working. God knows there's, there's, there's something between you and him that needs to be taken care of. More than that, you know there's something between God and you that needs to be taken care of. You know that he's calling you to this restored relationship and, and your sin that you're carrying, that you're holding on to, that you're not letting go of, is, is breaking you and ruining you. And, and what God wants you to do is just confess that your soul doesn't need to be shaken anymore. He can give you peace. And I want you to look at Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews with me, chapter 12, if you would, in your Bibles, please. Keep your, your ribbon there in Psalms. We, we'll be back. <clears throat> we talked about this briefly in my introduction. You know, we're not just talking about this hardship that comes only from sin or unconfessed sin. We're talking about trials, right? And I, I want to show you where, where the Lord talks about, being, about these trials and that, that being discipline. Let it be discipline in our lives. So we're in Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, verses 3 through 7. The writer of Hebrews says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus, right? Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. Right? You haven't gone there yet. Jesus has gone there. He's bled. You haven't, you haven't died yet. In struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In verse 5, and you have forgotten the, ex or, or, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, or sons and daughters. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Verse 7, endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? Certainly we know in this day and age there are plenty of sons and daughters who don't receive any discipline from their parents. And that we find and that we know and that we will confess is unloving. Amen? It is loving to discipline your children, to rear your children, to, to guide them and guard their hearts and protect them and put boundaries up. That is love. And God says the same thing about us when he disciplines us, when he corrects us, when he, when he informs us and instructs us. It is because he loves us. But it is not only to discipline us from our sin. It is to discipline us through our trials and our struggles. It's a teaching and a guiding that allows us to grow. Grow up out of sin and grow up through trials. And he goes on, he says, with, with this heavy, aching heart. If you go back to the Psalms, you flip back there. With a heavy, aching heart, he cries out, right? At the very end of this first passage, chapter, verse 3. And Lord, how long? How long, and this how long phrase appears 16 times 
in the Psalms, and it's always expressed from an anguished heart trying to seek comfort from God. How long? I need your, I need your comfort, but how long? How long? All of God's delays, all of these delays are meant to be a maturing or redeeming of the time and of your heart. And I know it's hard to believe sometimes. I know in the middle of sorrow, in the middle of pain, in the middle of loss, it's hard to believe that, that he's got a purpose, right? But he does. Every pain has a purpose. Every despair can lead to discipline. Every trial is a test, and every rebuke can lead to restoration. Amen? But it has to start from a humble heart coming before God. I think some part of confession we have here, we see, and it, it's that it comes because we long for God. Confession comes because we long for God. I'm not, see, I'm not going to confess my sin if I want to keep doing my sin, and I don't want to have anything to do with God. Right? I, you, you can't serve two masters, the Bible says. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other or love the one and hate the other. I can't love both God and another idol. So if I'm pursuing that idol and I have sin in my life and sin in my heart and it's unconfessed and I, and I don't long for God, I'm going to long for that idol. And if I long for that idol, I'm not going to want to confess my sin to God because I long for it. So it goes back to that first part. It's a heart change. right? God, God is wrecking your heart. God wants to draw you back into fellowship and relationship with him. But he's got to wreck us at times, right? Because we get stubborn. And our body has to shake because we, we resist. But he want, what he wants to do is show you there's something greater to desire in him than what is provided in our temptation or our sin. God is greater than the idols that we make and set before him. We have to exchange that. We have to long for God. Let's go back to the Psalms, verse 3, the last part of verse 3 again. Through 5, it says, And you, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, rescue me, save me because of your faithful love, for there is no remembrance of you in death. Who can thank you in Sheol? How long, he asked, how long? See, he's, he's longing. He's got, God, how long? I, I need comfort, I need rescue, I need respite. How long? And, and listen, I don't know about you, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure about David, but for me, when I say, how long, O Lord? That's followed up with this phrase. How long, O Lord, will I continue resisting you? How long will I continue doing the same sin, expecting different results? How long, O Lord, will you keep me, keep me in turmoil? And how long will I, I fight you and resist you? It's not that the Lord is slow in wanting to restore you. It's that we're slow in turning back to the Lord, aren't we? That we have a, a problem with doing that. We think, oh, I'll just continue. I'll, I'll fix it. It'll, it'll work itself out. When really what we need is humble confession of sin, humility before him, and a longing for him because he is our rescuer. Look what he says. Turn, Lord, rescue me. He's not, he's not turning to his idol or his sin to rescue him. He's not turning to somebody else. He's King David. And he's turning to the Lord and saying, rescue me. Save me because of your faithful love. Your faithful love. His faithful love was to be desired delighted in and treasured and he longed for that love because he knew he knew as a man after God's own heart he knew that that love is what could complete him that's love that love is what could fill him up that love is ultimately the only love that could fully satisfy him amen God's love God's faithful love so there was this longing longing to, to be close to God and, and you know when, when we have unconfessed sin and we're 
we're dealing with that burden and we, we feel distant from God, right? We're far from God at times. It's not because God has turned. He, he says, turn, Lord, and rescue me. Who really needs to turn? We do. Our hearts need to turn to him. And he's right there. It's, it's like a mom or a dad, a father with a son or a daughter, right? There might be an expectation or a rule or, or something there, and the, and the son or daughter says, no, nah, I'm doing my own thing. Right? You've been there. Right? You've probably been there. All of you have been sons or daughters or mom or dads. And you've been at that place, either or. And the, and the, the mom and dad don't normally turn their back on their children. The children usually turn their back on their parents and they leave. Or they, they, or, or they you know, maybe, maybe they still are in, in the house because you have a roof and food. But they avoid you. They don't, they don't hang out at the table for dinner anymore. They kind of come in at the very last minute. They're late or they, they try to get out of the house early and they, they just don't want to deal with that face-to-face. And that's how we are with God. We don't want to deal with that face-to-face when we're hiding in our sin and comfortable in our sin. But it's uncomfortable to remain there. And, and, and having that humble heart and God wrecking our heart and coming before Him, longing for that restored relationship is, is how we start our confession. And, and God will, just like moms and dads, if you're a mom and dad, you would, if your child came to you and wanted restoration, you would embrace them and love them and guide them and hold them because they're your child, and that's what God does for us. So he longs to be close and restored and to, to feel close to him again. And this closeness can only be fully realized as we humble ourselves before him and come and confess our sin to him. We have to humble ourselves before him. He's God, you're not. He's our father. Be the child. Let him be your daddy. But there's another longing here too. The longing mentioned here is a longing to live, and not just to live, but to live so that he might praise God. So that, that he might delight fully in God, and that delight would overflow, and people would see the glory of God in his, in his delight, in his joy, in his peace that he's found in the closeness he has with the Father. Cemeteries are silent places. They can't offer praise anymore. David says in verse 5, there is no remembrance of you in death. There's, who can thank you in Sheol? When, he says, when this earthly tent gives up, it can no longer lift you up on this earth. And he has a longing for that. David has a longing to praise God. So much so, he, he writes a lot of his psalms as, as praise music for the congregation. In fact, this is one of them. Interestingly enough, this is a, a worship song. He wants to lift up Jesus, lift up God. David knew ultimately his death would silence his worship. So as we long for him, as you and I long for Jesus, we should delight in the God of our salvation. We should delight in him and we should long to do nothing else with our lives than to lift him up above everything else that he might be seen as the rescuer that he is. See, that's our goal. We run to the rescuer for rescue and then we lift the rescuer up so others can be rescued too. That others can find hope and peace. Confession, number three, brings peace. Confession of our sin brings peace. Kind of interesting, huh? Who, who would have thought? Let's look at verses six through eight. Uh, six through seven at first. And, and, and I get this. When we read this, it does not sound like peace. Okay, I'll explain that. Let's, let's take a look. Six through seven. David goes on, he says, I am weary from my groaning. 
With my tears, I dampen my bed and drench my couch every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all my enemies. Does that sound pretty restful? Does that sound pretty peaceful to you? Not at all, right? In fact, we've, we've seen in previous Psalms, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, where David's confident and at peace, and he says, I lie down, I go to sleep, and the Lord wakes me because he sustains me. I, I, I don't have to wake, stay awake and worry. And what, what happened? What's going on here, right? Well, when you're not at peace with God, it will keep you up at night. When you're wrestling with being, being close and dealing and doing business with God, it will keep you up at night. And, and when you haven't been close to God and he can't give you confidence and peace and that firm footing, even the worries of the world and the cares of the world will keep you up at night. The actual literal sense of this is that David cried so much that his bed was swimming in his bedroom, which means it was so full, so deep, that his bed was kind of floating around in his bedroom. That was the intent of this. He said, I've just wept and wept and wept and wept. I've soaked my couch in it. I've soaked my bed in it. It's just, I haven't stopped weeping. My eyes are swollen and painful. You ever had that time? I have, where you've wept so much, you just, you, everything's out of you and, and all your emotions out of you and your eyes are swollen and you can't even barely see through them. This is what David is talking about. This is what his sin has done. This is what this pressure of life has done because he hasn't come clean with God. So now he is. Now in this moment of weeping, in this moment of sorrow, in this moment of grief, he's, he's laying it all out there for God. And, and here's how we know he's confessing because of what happens in verse 8. Let's look at verse 8. There's a change of attitude, right? He goes, my eyes are swollen from grief. In verse 7, they grow old because of all my enemies. And in verse 8, he says, Depart from me, evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. Whoa, where did this confidence come from? Where did this peace come from? He, he had been in turmoil all up until now, and now what is he doing? He, he stands up, he rises up, right? And he says, Depart from me, all evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. It's amazing in this passage, we, we've seen the opposite of this in, the, in chapters 3 and 4. Here's a couple instances when I've, what I was talking about. He says, I lie down in verse 5 of 3. He says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. In chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. He knew that truth, but now, he, now he's desperate. He's desperately calling out to God, and, and he's, he's confessing to God. We see this deep sorrow and trouble, a sorrow that can only be relieved by God. And it's a weeping. Interesting about weeping, I don't, I don't know any foreign languages. I barely know English, right? And, and when I go, like I've gone to Mexico before, and I've gone to Canada, is that a foreign language? I, probably not. Right. But, but you think, oh, I, we, can, we can hear Spanish, we can speak Spanish, and you kind of pick up a few words, but you can't speak it. But where, think about going somewhere else in the world, that kind of intimidates me. I know many places speak English, but there's, there's a universal language in the world. It's weeping. You could go anywhere in the world, and if someone was weeping, you would know what's going on. You would, you would feel for them, knowing that they are in despair and hurt. You may not know the situation, obviously, and you couldn't, they couldn't explain it, but tears are enough at that time. What we see is David weeping, and the Lord hears that repentant, confessing heart of David, and he brings peace. See, tears are liquid prayers. Tears are liquid prayers. 
and they're understood by the Father in heaven when our words fail. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome that he hears us even when we can't utter a word, even when our pillow is just wet with tears, he hears us. That was his excitement in verse 8. The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. Listen, God's people must groan and must weep at times. I want you to understand that. But listen, as we come to God with a humble heart, right? As we come to God with a humble heart, longing for Him and to be restored, although we must groan at times, there may be a time, there should be a time, there must be a time when we also get up, we rise up, and we shout our praises to God for what He's done for us. God is not going to leave us there in that room weeping when we come before Him humbly, longing for Him, because He will give peace to our hearts. If you're not experiencing that peace, you're probably not longing for God and what God has for you. You're probably not longing for the peace that only He can offer. You're probably not in the right heart set. There are things in every day that could cause us to weep. And David wept. But when he came before Him, confessing his heart to God, he rejoiced, he stood up and rejoiced that the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. Did, did it say that his enemies were defeated? No. Did it say that his pressures stopped? No. None of the circumstances around him changed. What changed in David? His heart changed. His heart changed. And he had a confidence which we'll see in a minute, that, that the Lord, only the Lord brings a peace that only the Lord brings. So confession of our sins brings us peace, and it brings us from our knees to our feet, ready to deal with evil or the wicked that's inside and out. You see, David, when he stood up, he said, depart from me, all evildoers. It wasn't just maybe those around him or the people that were coming against him. I think David was wanting to clean house inside and that's what God's wanting us to do also. What's going on here that needs to get out so God can come back in and have, we can have that fellowship with God and have peace with God? And that leads to the final one. Once we have that, confession gives assured confidence. That's number four. Confession gives us assured confidence. Verses 9 and 10. The Lord has heard my plea for help. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror. They will turn back and suddenly be disgraced. As he goes to the Lord, he, he, he's acknowledging through this time of weeping and mourning, he's through this time of humility and longing for God, he has, God has heard him. He says, the Lord has heard my plea for help. The Lord accepts my prayer. Listen, the Father is waiting. The Father is ready to hear your prayer. He's ready to deal with your heart and help your heart. And he says, all my enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror. They will turn back and suddenly be disgraced. We know that we are, from Scripture, we are to pray for our enemies. But we also know from Scripture that there will be a final judgment from God on all the enemies of God. That day will come. But I want you to understand that David, David uses language here as he did in the beginning. Look at this language. All enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror. 
What was David doing at the beginning of the psalm? Let's go back to it. Look at verse 2. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, for my bones are what? Shaking. Verse 3. My whole being is shaken with terror. You see, whether we're rebelling against God, we're, we're, we believe and we, we long for God, we, we really do have a relationship with God, whether we're, we've sinned and unconfessed sin is existing between us, or whether we're actually just the rebel, rebellious against God who have rebelled and rejected God, we shake with terror because we're not in a right relationship with God. And, and see, he understands that that out-of-character, out of out-of-the-ordinary, in a sinful relationship uh, with God doesn't work, right? And it pushes us and moves us into this place of terror, shaking with terror, and he understands that that's what his enemies are going through as well. He says, all my enemies will be ashamed. They'll shake with terror. And I think part of this is his confidence. As he builds his confidence, as he restores his relationship, as he offers praises to God, as he is seen as, as glorifying to God, they will see God and they will shake then with terror because of their own sin, because of their own decisions. They will suddenly turn back and be disgraced. They're being judged because they rebel against God and they reject him. And maybe you've been rebelling against God and rejecting him your whole life. Maybe you've never come to terms with Jesus. He wants you to. God's, God's wrath is on you until you come to him in faith and believe the gospel. Let him, let him heal your broken heart. Let him cleanse you of your sin. Let him wrap you in his righteousness. And you'll never be the same again. And he is a loving father who's ready to wrap you up in his righteousness. As for our pressures, as for our trials, as for our enemies that are around us, we will have victory over them but it may not be immediate. But whether immediate or ultimate, there will be victory. Amen? Because we know the end of the story. God wins. I, I just finished reading uh, a book with my daughter. It's, well, the Bible. It's a book. It's a children's book, and it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful book. Um, I can't recall the name right now, but it just has this, this theme of God's rescuer from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation. And, and it was amazing that, that the story, you know, wanted to say, and, and normal stories would say, the end. But this one's not over yet. God wins. Like, oh, you know, and it's, yeah, we know the ending of the story. We know what's going to happen. We know that God will have the ultimate victory. And listen, that's what our confidence is in. Amen? Our confidence is not in that he's going to remove this trial from you right now. This is a season. This, this will pass. Eventually, this will pass. Everything in history has passed. But one thing that we can always rest our hope in and rest our head on our pillow because of is the victory that we'll have in the, and the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And that is the confidence that we, we should have inside of us. I think we often place little value on confessing our sins to God or to one another even. To, to lighten that load, to let people bear that burden and let God remove that burden from us, partly because we're proud and we want to have those, those idols and those gods in our life and those sins, partly because we're just scared to go before him. But it's an extremely important discipline to confess your sins to God so you can have that closeness with him again. And God's Holy Spirit should prompt you and will prompt you and, and will convict you in order to teach you, right? In order to discipline or correct you and, and in order to restore you back to him. And from his abounding grace, 
right? Overflowing grace from his overwhelming love. He will give you peace and he will give you confidence to face any trial that comes your way. Amen. That's Psalm 6. All right, let's stand and pray together. Lord, you are so gracious to us, and we, we thank you so much that you have put your anger and wrath on Jesus Christ on the cross as he poured out his blood for us. And we thank you that he didn't remain there, but God, uh, he, he rose out of that tomb three days later, conquering Satan, sin, and death once and for all, that we could have ultimate victory because he had ultimate victory. God, help us. There are times in our life, maybe now is a time for some of us, God, where we are heavy burdened with the sin that we're carrying and we, we don't know what to do with it. God, I pray that you would help us confess that sin, that you would change and wreck our heart, humble us so we could come to you faithfully to confess, longing for you because, God, only you satisfy. There's only ultimate hope in you. Help us to forsake everything else we put before you that we might have you more closely and a hope in you that would lead to a peace and a confidence in our lives, knowing that you have had the victory for us. We thank you and we praise you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service, it's our opportunity to respond every week that is. And you can respond in worship where you are. Maybe you need to, to soak the pew in front of you with your tears. I don't know. Maybe you need to pray where you are silently. Maybe you need to grab somebody else and, just, and bear that burden with them. I'll be up front if you'd like to pray with me. Maybe it's time you just need to, you, you're still alive. You know, that cemetery is silent, but this is not silent. It's time to lift up your praises to the Father for how good he is, how he's given you that peace and that confidence. Whatever, whatever's on your heart right now, whatever God's leading you to do, it's your opportunity to respond. Just do so as we sing, all right? Let's sing.